Tonight's New Testament scripture is from the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest who was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came down to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, good evening. Um, Let's pray as we get into God's word. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we come before you. In the mighty name of Jesus, and we ask that you would speak and that we would listen. Father, I pray that you would speak to and through me your words, O God. In Jesus' holy name I pray, amen. So this is the final Sunday of our series on uh, what a disciple does. We've been going through a series that started with a disciple uh, is a servant, It's not only something that a disciple does, but it's the identity of a follower of Jesus Christ. And when I say disciple, I mean a follower of Jesus Christ. And so a disciple who follows Jesus Christ, first of all, is a servant. And Glenn talked about that last week, Sunday, we talked about how a disciple is one who not only does just acts, but is a just person. It's a part of their identity. And and tonight, we'll talk about mercy. Mercy is not only something that we do, but the Bible says, blessed are the merciful. So a a follower of Jesus Christ is a merciful person. And so when we think about this idea of what a a disciple is, many times we, uh, and and throughout this whole year, we've been talking about our vision for the year, which is experiencing and expressing the fullness of the gospel. And so a lot of times when people outside of the church, they look at at Christians, they look at disciples of Jesus Christ, and they're like, yeah, you have have good beliefs, you might have some uh, theology, but I don't see your actions, I don't don't see you living what you talk about, I don't see you walking the walk. And so when we talk about following Jesus Christ, it's more uh, than just having good belief, but it's having uh, an action toward those beliefs, Amen. And so when, when, when we try to figure out what mercy is, I'm going to talk about two things, what mercy is and then what mercy does. 
if we're trying to figure out what mercy is, we, we can look at ourselves and we can find out that, yes, we do some good, uh, merciful things on occasion, but we're not born merciful. The Bible says we, we are born, born in sin. We're born broken. We, we are born selfish. And so when we look at the, this character of mercy, we need to look at God himself. And so that's what we want to look at today. I'm going to look at what mercy is through the character of God and talk about what mercy does. When we see the mercy of God, God uh, describes mercy in, in three different ways. So in the Old Testament, there are two Hebrew words for mercy. And the first means a loyal or covenantal love. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 7, God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And then a second uh, Hebrew word for mercy in the Old Testament is tender compassion. It is God's tender compassion to his people. And that word actually refers to a mother's tenderness toward her baby. And the third word, which we'll look at tonight, the Greek word, which is in the New Testament, It means being concerned about people in their need, being concerned about people in their need. And so when we look at who God is, uh, scriptures have many verses talking about the mercy of God. Uh, In 1 Chronicles 21 and 13, it, it says, then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let me fall into the hand of the Lord for his mercy is very great. But do not let me fall into the hand of men. So uh, when scripture talks about God's mercy, it's, it's very great. In, in Psalm 69, it, the Bible says, uh, your steadfast love is good according to your abundant mercy Turn to me. So it's very great. It's abundant. Psalm 136 says it's, it endures forever. It's tender. It's rich. And it's also undeserved. Titus 3, 5 says, he saved us, Jesus, not because of works done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. And so when we, when we try to find out what, what exactly does a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, what do they do? How do they act mercifully? We first need to look at who the character of God is. Who is this God that is full of mercy? You see, mercy is relational. Uh, Only those who need mercy can receive mercy. Those on the receiving end have to be vulnerable. They have to be humble, honest, uh, and with a repentant heart. And those on the giving end, uh, they're forgiving, they're compassionate, they're sympathetic and selfless. And so when God gives mercy, it's always in a relational context. It's never in, in an abstract context. And so let's look at this story from Luke chapter 10, and we'll find out what mercy does. The Bible says, and behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, him being Jesus. Now, the the lawyers and Pharisees, they were closely related. Uh, They were both uh, knowledgeable of the laws of Moses, and they sought to live out the Old Testament law perfectly. And so this, this lawyer was, was very versed in the scriptures. He, he knew them by heart. And the lawyer asked Jesus this one question. And we see it right here. What shall I do to receive eternal life? Let's look at it, 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 the scripture. And it says here, 
what shall I do to receive eternal life? Now, this question, you think about who he's asking the question to, right? He's asking the question to Jesus. Now, Jesus could have said, you know what? I am so glad you asked me that question. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Follow me. I am the Messiah, the Son of God. If if you just confess in me and repent of your sins and and follow Jesus for your only hope of your salvation, if, if I'm the Lord of your life, then that's when you receive eternal life. But Jesus doesn't do those things. That question, you would think, of course, you going up to Jesus, right? The, the, the son of God, the Messiah, you ask Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? And I'm, I'm going to give you two illustrations. I don't know how this is going to work with you all, so uh, forgive me, ladies, uh, but we're going to go by faith. Amen. So single ladies, imagine a, a guy that you like, he's avoiding you and he's sending you mixed signals. And then one day he comes up to you and he says, what must I do to earn one date with you? I am unworthy. I'm sure you would have something to say, right? Uh, Wives, if if you are a wife in the building, what if your husband, who's he's always busy, he he never has time to clean the house or take care of the kids, and uh, he does little things that get on your last nerve. And I know I feel like I'm speaking from experience. Baby, I'm sorry. And he comes up to you and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? No, I'm just kidding. He, he, he says, what must I do to ease your burden? What, what do I need to do to give you a break tonight? Uh, wh- how can I be present in our marriage? And I'm sure she would be excited to tell me all these things. Yet Jesus, he doesn't give him the lawyer this type of answer. Jesus asked him to give the answer to his own question. Uh, Jesus knew that the lawyer was testing him and was trying to prove a point. And so Jesus, being gracious, says to the lawyer, what does the law book say? And I believe that this is the first act of mercy. I'm sure the lawyer answered, well, you know, let me tell you, I've, I've gone to seminary, I've, 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 I've learned underneath, underneath one of the greatest rabbis, let me tell you my years of experience, my expertise. And he quotes the law, and he summarizes the law by saying, uh, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you're right, do this, and you will live but the, the lawyer wasn't going to let Jesus go that easily. He wanted a debate, an intellectual argument. He wanted to talk facts, uh, logic, propositions. He, he wanted to make Jesus look like fake news, like an irrational fanatic with no substance. And so the lawyer asked the second question. He, uh, he says, who is my neighbor? And the Bible says that he asked this question to justify himself. And we see it in verse 29. He says, but he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He wanted Jesus to affirm him in loving the people that agreed with him theologically. He wanted Jesus to to affirm loving the person that had the same view of sexuality that he does, the 
the person that voted for the same uh, per, uh, the, the, some, the person that voted the same way that he does. The the person loved the person of his own race. Love uh, the the person that has a similar education and a similar background. He wanted to justify himself, but but Jesus didn't deal in the theoretical. He didn't deal in the, the, the propositional, but in the practical. And he created a story known as a parable. And, and this parable would relate to his situation and teach him a deep spiritual truth. Jesus didn't quote scripture to him. Je- Jesus didn't say, let's, let's take a personality test to see who you're compatible with. Jesus tells the lawyer a parable to speak to the lawyer's heart. And I believe this is the second act of mercy. He didn't uh, formulate uh, uh, propositions or uh, or judge him because Jesus would already know his thoughts. But he told him a story. And and, and what's interesting in scripture, when you see parables, a lot of times parables, uh, usually they, they are, Jesus used parables to veil the truth he would speak to a group of people and his disciples would be with him. And a lot of times the parables were meant for the disciples and not necessarily for the people who were hearing him, like the parable of the sower. But yet this parable, Jesus doesn't veil anything. Jesus gives him the meaning at the end of the parable because he wants to speak to his heart. And I believe, like I said, this is the second act of mercy. And so let's look at the story. The Bible says here in Luke 10 that a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, Jerusalem was on an elevated plain. It was above sea level, and he was going down to Jericho, which was below sea level. And the route was about 17 miles, and it was winding, and and, 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 uh, there were many caves and caverns, and so people could hide in them. And so uh, the fact that he was robbed and beaten... it's understandable because this, this road is dangerous. It has a lot of uh, hidden uh, alleyways. And so uh, he's on the road going down to Jericho. And robbers assail him and they, they beat him. They strip him naked and they left this person for dead. And the Bible says a priest was going down the road and saw this man and he passed on the other side. Now, in Israel, the, the priesthood represented God's relationship to his people. God told Moses to tell his people, Israel, that they shall be to me a kingdom of priests. And so God's desire was for his, his, whole, his, his people to act uh, like priests. They would be before God in God's presence like the priests. And so this, and also according to Levitical law and Leviticus 21 and Haggai chapter 2, priests, uh, they were holy, set apart, and they couldn't touch unclean things. And so this half-dead man beaten and bruised on the side of the road uh, probably wasn't moving. And from a distance, he looked dead. And so it, it, could, it could be, I'm not saying that this is true, but it could be that, that the priests didn't want to touch him because he was unclean. You know, I am that priest. A priest is like a preacher. A priest is a bishop. A priest is one of the, uh, you know, the reverence. And I had a moment like this. You know, we have a skeptics group, and in our skeptics group, uh, we're talking about hell. And one day, a Satanist came to our skeptics group. 
And like you, I wondered if this was a mistake. But this, this Satanist wanted to come to our, our group and, and talk about hell. And so uh, that night, the day of our meeting, I must admit, I was a bit concerned and I was a bit scared because pastors typically don't have, uh, 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 you know, coffee dates with Satanists. So the day of our meeting arrived and, and the Satanist was 20 minutes late and I thought, you know, he wasn't coming. And then 10 minutes, 10 minutes later, he, he sends a message on our online discussion board on meetup.com. And uh, he said that he was wandering around Gallery Place in Chinatown. And he said, you know, I could never find churches. So I, I, I thought to myself, well, you know, I guess he, he's not coming. And honestly, I was slightly relieved. I didn't want to have a, a possible confrontation with a Satanist anyway. But, but check this out. My atheist friend in the group, he said he would go to the metro stop. And he would look for the Satanists. And so my, my atheist friend emailed the Satanist his cell phone number so that he could call him. You know, I, I would never give my cell phone number out like that. But my friend did. My, my atheist friend showed compassion. He showed the Satanist what, what mercy looks like. And my friend eventually found this, this guy and, and he walked him to our meeting place and I, the assistant pastor, didn't show that type of compassion. And so when I, when I look at the story of the Good Samaritan and I see the priest, I, I see myself. And the Bible says also that a Levite passed by. Uh, the Levites, they were kind of like the temple assistants. They were like the deacons. And then the story changes, and this is what I want to focus on tonight. It says, but there was this Samaritan, uh, a commentator, John Nolan, he said, what possible developments can we as listeners expect in the story? We started out with high expectation of the cultic figures, but if now an ordinary Jew should come along and help, then we will find that we have been drawn to a piece of anti-clerical propaganda. Or will the story end tragically with shame falling on the whole Jewish community for its lovelessness? Or will God be the hero and intervene and perhaps through an angel? But the development we get is not the development we ex expect. And so this isn't some anti-religious uh, Story. This isn't saying, you know, well, the, the priests, you know, them pastors and the, the deacons, they pass the guy. They're good for nothing. No, this, this wasn't a story of shame. This wasn't propaganda. This wasn't a story to shame the Jewish community. Uh, look, you can't even uh, take care of your own people on the side of the road. But Jesus, he puts a spin on it. He, he wanted the lawyer to challenge his, his idea of who a neighbor is. And he wanted the lawyer to see from the victim's perspective. So we should answer this question of who my neighbor is, not of, of a position, uh, uh, before we answer this question of, of a, a position of strength, like we have the riches and wealth to give, we need to see our neighbors as the person on the side of the road. We need to see ourselves in those people. We need to identify with them. And that's what Jesus Christ is trying to let 
the lawyer know? And so a, a, a transition is about to happen. And one would expect Jesus to say, a priest walked by, a Levite, and then a lawyer came. But Jesus doesn't do that. Uh, Jesus doesn't make this point. He said a Samaritan came and showed this man mercy. Now, Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Uh, the Samaritans had their, their own temple uh, where they worship on Mount Gerizim and the Jews worship on Mount Zion. And they had their own copy of the Torah, which was the first five books of the Old Testament. And in fact, in Luke chapter 9, right before this story of the Good Samaritan and, and Jesus' encounter with the lawyer, Jesus was going down to Jerusalem and Jesus said, you know, let's go, let's go through the village of Samaria. And when the Samaritans heard that Jesus was coming through, but not to, they said, you know what, Jesus, we don't want you to come. Because they wanted Jesus to make a pit stop and make that his final destination versus passing through Samaria and going to Jerusalem. And you know what? Jesus' disciple says, Jesus, let's call down fire from heaven to burn this whole place down. And Jesus says, no, don't do that. So this, this, is, this is the context of how Jews and Samaritans interacted with one another. The Samaritans were actually half Jews and half Gentile. And they mixed Judaism with other religions. Now, because of this bad blood between the Jews and the Samaritan, one would never think that a Samaritan would show this type of mercy. You know, I... I was watching Steve Harvey that you know the morning show I had a, a had a, a, a break one day and in this one particular episode there was this wealthy New York man and he was on Steve Harvey and he was saying you know Steve uh, one day I was walking downtown and I had a heart attack and I was I was about to die and then uh, this homeless man comes and gives CPR and he saves my life. And I was like, wow, how many, how many times we walk past people and we don't realize that those same people that you walk by could save your life. And it just hit me there that, uh, do I see myself? Do I, do I, do I see the, the poor, the broken, those who don't have with a sense of dignity like they could save my life. And this uh, third act of mercy that Jesus shows in the stories shows the Samaritan, even though there's bad blood between the Jews and the Samaritan, uh, one would think that the Samaritan wouldn't show, but the, the Samaritan showed mercy. And he went beyond seeing and he acted. The Samaritan bound, bound up his wounds and purified him with oil and wine, and oil and wine were actually disinfectants. And so he disinfected this brother. He, he gave him his medical uh, uh, kit. He took it out and he gave him medical attention when he was dying. You know, uh, many times people would say, uh, you know, when people are asking me for money on the side of the street, you know, I, and, and I've been approached as well. But if I look at the Good Samaritan, I think there's some wisdom there. The Samaritan sees his need and he binds up his wounds. He, he takes him to the hospital and takes him to the inn. And so a lot of times when people are asking money for food, I just give them food. 
If you ask money for a bus, hey, I'll just take you on the bus. The Samaritan doesn't give him money. The Samaritan meets his need. And so I, I, I think that's some wisdom for us tonight, that those who are on the street corners asking you for money, they have needs. And money is just a medium to get them to that place. And so if, can, we, can we have compassion and see the need and act? And so the, the good Samaritan, he, 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 he risked his own health by cleaning the man. The man could have had leprosy. This man could have had some other disease and could have infected the Samaritan. But mercy binds wounds and heals. The Samaritan also risked his life. This beaten and bruised man could be running from some bad people and associating with this man could have put this uh, Samaritan's life in danger. But mercy makes oneself vulnerable. Uh, Mercy is also uh, relational and selfless. Mercy doesn't ask what will happen to me if I help this man, but mercy asks what will happen to this man if I don't help him. The Samaritan, uh, he also set this man on his own animal and he brought him to an inn and he, and he took care of him. You see, mercy restores dignity. So this man was, was not a second-class citizen. He, he wasn't an afterthought. He, he rode on the back with the Samaritan. And, and if this Samaritan was walking or, you know, as they were traveling into town, people could see like, wow. A Jew and a Samaritan, they, they must be friends or something. And so uh, uh, mercy also keeps no record of wrong. The Samaritan gave the beaten and bruised man an open tab in the inn. He gave him ongoing mercy. This is uh, what I like to call credit card mercy with no limits. But the hard truth is this, and I'll close with this. The bruised and beaten Jewish man in the current cultural context would not take help from a Samaritan. Even if the Samaritan wanted to show him mercy, the man would have refused. Secondly, the the Samaritan didn't care about political correctness. He didn't ask if he wanted help. He anticipated his need and he acted mercifully. But here's the question. How do you give mercy to someone who needs it but refuses to accept it from you? How do you help someone who doesn't think they need help? How do you save someone who doesn't believe they need a savior? I think Jesus is showing here that he is the good Samaritan. Jesus doesn't wait for us to ask for help, but he meets us in our half-dead state, beaten and bruised by sin, Sin has robbed us of our dignity, our significance, our beauty, and has left us all dead on the road of life, naked and bruised. And we so desperately want someone to see us, someone to act mercifully toward us. We need the healing touch of a person who would make us whole and purify us from our uncleanliness. We want someone to look at us and not ignore us. We want someone to see us. And we're, we're tired of having to explain why we need help. Can someone just see me and act? Can someone have mercy on me? Can someone show me compassion and don't walk on the other side? You see, Jesus is the good Samaritan. Jesus sees a robbed and beaten and a bruised and half-dead person. 
and he doesn't ignore him. Jesus sees us ignored by the religious people who who might talk the talk, but don't walk the walk. And Jesus, uh, he comes toward us and he has the capacity. You know, a lot of times we, we 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 don't have the capacity to show compassion to every person in need. We're, we're, we're not that uh, equipped, but Jesus has the capacity and he has the energy. Many of us would not know what it's like to experience the mercy of God because many of us don't think we need it. Nobody asked Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and raise from the dead for our restoration. But Jesus doesn't wait for you to ask him He sees your need and he comes to you and he shows you compassion. He risks his life so that sin will never rob you again. Even if you die, you will have eternal life in Jesus Christ if you accept his mercy for you. Jesus comes down from heaven and he touches the bruised and the beaten. And the holy touches the unholy and makes them holy. And Jesus restores our dignity that was robbed by sin. Because the truth is, friends... That we are that person on the side of the road. That person, that beaten and bruised and half-dead person is us. And uh, And it's amazing when we think about what a disciple does. A disciple follows Jesus Christ. And how does Jesus treat those who are bruised and beaten? Those who have, uh, are, are so desperately in need. Jesus doesn't say, you know what? God, I'm not going to go down to earth because if, even if I save them, they're going to waste it. They're going to abuse my grace. Jesus says, yeah, some of them, yeah, they don't really deserve it because they're going to waste it. Uh, they're not going to take full advantage. They, they, they won't work hard enough. They won't make themselves worthy. Jesus and the Father says, Jesus, if that's the truth, then none of them could, could, could get the mercy that you so desire to give. And so Jesus doesn't wait for us. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't wait for us to clean ourselves up. He doesn't wait for us to get our lives together. He doesn't wait for us to get to a point where we're wealthy and rich and we can give to someone. No, Jesus comes to us. He sees our need and he acts. Because the mercy, the merciful don't wait. The merciful act. The Bible says in James that faith without works is dead. And Jesus shows his mercy, he shows that he's merciful by the way that he has acted toward us. And so today, if, if, if you're here tonight and you're wondering, why do I need a savior? Or how, how do I show mercy to someone who doesn't want it? And I think the, the story shows us the way that you show mercy to someone who's beaten and bruised on the side of the world, you, you act. A lot of you have shown mercy. A lot of you uh, are on the mercy team. Many of you are on the di- diaconate. You have acted. You, you, you're involved. And so I want to encourage you to continue to do what you're doing. And at the same time, don't forget that person who's in need. Because remember, that could be you. Can you see yourself as the person who's on the street? Can you see yourself as the homeless man or the homeless woman? Because not until you see your brokenness, not until you see the fact that you need mercy, you'll never receive it. But Jesus doesn't wait even for that. 
And so what this, this Savior that we talk about, this, this wonderful, merciful Savior, shows us mercy even when we didn't ask him. Because that's how much he loves us. And he asks us to follow in his footsteps, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, to restore dignity to people, to, to, to heal the bruised and, to, and the broken, to show compassion to those in need, because that's what Jesus did for us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you, Lord, that you have shown us mercy. Father, we thank you, O oh God, that you did not wait for us to act, but you came. Oh Lord, I pray that we would walk in your footsteps, that you would give us the spirit of Christ so that we might follow after you and show compassion to those who are in need because you have done it for us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen.